in, in seminary, uh, you take a class called homiletics. And basically, homiletics is a speaking or communications class for preachers. And one of the rule, there's many rules in your homiletics courses that you are taught in how to preach. And one of the rules is never begin a message by saying your title and going straight into it. And uh, the reason there, there's a rule is be, that's a rule is because the professors tell you that if you just say your title and go straight into your message, you'll lose your audience. They won't be interested. In fact, they'll they'll be kind of confused. You know, they'll be they'll be a little bit bored. Well, today I'm going to scrap that rule because today you see, I believe a t- I have a title that will grab you. I believe I have a title that might make you angry. I believe I have a title that might make you growl. It might even make some of you stand up and walk out. I hope not. The title of my message this morning is this. Submit to your governing authorities. Nobody's walking. Glenn almost walked. I saw it. He almost, he almost walked. Submit to your governing authorities. I got all the seals up there. You like that? The seal. You got the presidential seal, the the uh, the congressional seal, the supreme Sup- seal of the Supreme Court. We've got the seal of the great state of California, and the seal of Orange County. Although I don't really know if that's an official seal. Is that Lou? Is that official? That's official. All right. Good. I got it right. Submit to your governing authorities. We're going to be in Romans 13. Go ahead and begin to turn there, will you? Romans chapter 13. And as you're turning there, we might be wondering, well, why is Paul talking about this in Romans? That's kind of peculiar, right? We've been going through the book of Romans, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And here we are in chapter 13, and all of a sudden, Paul goes from all of these individual ethical commands in chapter 12, to submit to your government. And it seems kind of strange, and it seems kind of out of place. But I can assure you, it's not for Paul. You see, for Paul, he was a little bit concerned that when he said in chapter 12, not to be conformed to this world, he was concerned that he might be giving the impression to the Christians in Rome that... Well, if they're not to be conformed to this world, maybe they're to not pay attention to the earthly leaders of this world. Paul may have been concerned that the Christians in Rome would would rise up and say, well, since earth is in our home and heaven is our home, we're going to just not pay attention to our earthly leaders. Paul was concerned that they would be uh, that the Christians in Rome would be tempted to hear his words and say, Hey, we're, we're a new people in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our King. Caesar, he's, he's of the world. And so let us renounce all that is in the world and follow Christ alone. Paul was concerned that his words of leaving the world and not being conformed to the world would cause some Christians to act in a way that was disrespectful, dishonoring to their governments. And so he wrote what he wrote in chapter 13. Let's stand together as we read verses 1 through 7. 
Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes this. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he, the governing official, he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, and, uh, for, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You may be seated. Paul writes again in verse 1, zero in here, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. A few things to take note of here. I've, I've kind of underlined some of them. The first is, let every soul, suke in Greek, or the whole person, the whole life, every single person is to be subject to their government. And so Paul here is actually not even making an admonition just to the Christians in Rome. He's making an admonition about life in general here. He's saying every single person should be subject to their government. And what about that word subject or submit in some of your Bible translations, which would probably be a, really a better translation. The word submit there is the Greek word hupotasso, and it means to submit to, to obey to be under the authority of, to take a subordinate place to. And this is certainly, certainly not the first time that you've seen the concept of submission uh, in the Scriptures. The New Testament has a whole list of instances in, 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 in situations in which we are to submit to another. Let's take a look at some of them. Slaves, submit to masters. Christians, Submit to the service of one another. Christians are to submit to their elders. Number four, wives are to submit to their husbands. Five, Christians are submit to submit to one another. And by the way, that number five there, that submission to one another, it, it is the, what prefaces a wife's submission to her husband. Which is interesting, because before Paul tells women to submit to their husbands, he tells all Christians to submit to one another. And so it can absolutely be said that inasmuch as Paul has asked for wives and commanded wives to submit to their husbands, equally so, guess what, husbands? According to Ephesians 5.21, he's actually asked you to submit to your wives at times. And there's mutual submission. There's mutual deference to one another. There's mutual respect, mutual honor. And so anyone that teaches Ephesians 5.24 devoid of 5.21 misses the point of what Paul is saying there. There's mutual submission in Christianity. Number six, Christians are to submit to God the Father. 
Number seven, all things will submit to Christ one day. So submission is all over the Scriptures. All over. Douglas Moo, a preeminent New Testament scholar, writes this. Heading the hierarchy of relations in which the Christians find themselves is God. And all subordinate submissions must always be measured in relationship to our all-embracing submission to Him. Let me read that last part again. I'll read it slow. A lot of words there. All subordinate, all other submissions must always be measured in relationship to our all-embracing submission to God. Why? Why? For there is no authority, Paul writes back in verse 1. Let's go back to verse 1. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That's, that's, that's a tremendous statement here in verse 1. There is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That means that there is... Get this, there is not one world leader, not one, who is presently in power, who are in the position that they are in without God first appointing them to it. So much, so much can be said of God's involvement in the placing of human rulers over the nations of the earth, that Paul can say each of them are appointed by God. They're designated by God. Appointed. Tasso in, in Greek, which is interesting because he just said hupotasso earlier when he said submit to the authorities. Why? Because tasso, they're appointed. He's using a play on words here. Hupotasso, submit to the authorities. Why? Tasso, they're appointed. It's a powerful statement by Paul. Not one ruler reigns over a nation of the earth unless God says so. Daniel 4.25 The Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He chooses. And so I can say on good authority, I can say on the authority of the Scriptures, that Mahmud Ahmadinejad of Iran is appointed by God. I can say that Kim Jong-il of North Korea has been appointed by God. I can say that Gaddafi in Libya is appointed by God. At least for the next few days. I can say, we can say, on the authority of Romans 13.1, that God is the one who has placed these men and women into power wherever they are in the world. Now you might be asking, well, wait a minute. Are you saying that God approves of them? Are you suggesting that when you're, when you're talking about appointment here or, or, or designation to high office, are, you, are we suggesting that God approves of them? No, that's not what we're suggesting. That's not what Paul's suggesting. We're simply saying that God is the one who gives final authorization to their taking the throne in their respective nations. 
But appointment does not mean approval. Say that again. Appointment does not mean approval. These things are separate. And you might ask the question, well, why would God, why would God appoint someone to high office if he didn't approve of them? I can answer that question very simply. I'm your pastor. God, for this time, has said, Neil, I want you to be the pastor of Coast Bible Church. And guess what? I am a sinner. I am one who sins every day. I've sinned grievously before. I've sinned terribly. There are sins I never want to tell you about. There are evils that I've done as a person appointed to a high office that I'd never want revealed. And yet God has appointed me to an office. And so also, He appoints other men and women, sinners alike, to high office because He's going to accomplish His purpose through sinful men and women. Now, at times, those appointments are going to be approved of. There are moments over the last five years when I've been pastor where God has looked at what I've done and said, Bravo, Neil. Good job. And then there have been other moments where over the last five years I've been pastor and the Lord has, has told me, and I, and I know it because I can feel it, He could say, boy, you really screwed up there. You really messed up there. You made a mistake there. Appointment does not always mean approval. And just because someone's been appointed to something doesn't mean that God universally approves of everything they do. So it is with rulers of high office. It seems clear to me that God uses sinful men and women to accomplish His purposes on the earth. God can use anyone to accomplish His purposes. He can use those who believe in Him, like Joseph and, and David and Solomon. These were great kings and rulers over the people of Israel and Joseph over, over all the land of Egypt. And He can use those who blatantly oppose Him. He used Pharaoh. He used Caesar for His purposes. God can use some people to, to, to bless Israel, His chosen people. Uh, pay, uh, kings like King Cyrus of Persia in the Old Testament. And He can also use rulers to discipline His people Israel, like many of the Assyrian and Babylonian kings. And on the last day, God will install, note this, He will appoint a ruler that the world is mistakenly craving for. To be sure, God will appoint this ruler to high office, but He will not approve of him. And on the last day, Jesus Christ will come and destroy that last ruler and establish the kingdom of God. This, this world right now, we are living in some crazy times. I don't know if you're paying attention to the news. If you're not, some of you are like, well, I, just, I try not to pay attention to that. I suggest you start paying attention right now. There are things happening in the world that are escalating fast. And whether you're a news junkie or someone who never looks at it, just pay attention. Be informed right now. Because what is happening in the world is fascinating. 
And as you read the scriptures, boy, for those of you that, that, that know what is to come, we keep thinking, man, it's getting close. It's getting close. God appoints leaders for his purposes, and so long as those purposes are being accomplished, that leader will remain in power. Daniel 2.20 also goes on to say, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God installs leaders when he wills, and he removes them when he wills. But these matters, friends, these matters are His. Okay? They're His. They're not mine and they're not yours. They're His to install and to remove. God's earthly rulers have been assigned responsibilities by Him and He will deal with them. As for us, Paul says, we have a job to do. And our job is not, contrary to popular opinion, it is not to remind our earthly leaders of just how disposable they are in God's sight. No, our job, our God-ordained responsibility, is to submit to the governing authorities. In fact, so great is this responsibility that notice what Paul says in verse 2. He says, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. For those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Wow, that's powerful. Whoever resists the governing authorities resists the ordinance of God. You might be asking again, is Paul suggesting that we are never to resist our governing authorities? Is that what he's saying? No. No. The point here is simple. Paul's point here is your first instinct, your first reaction, your first gut impulse when faced, when presented, when listening to, when, when, when hearing about a new declaration or, or law or policy coming out of your governing authorities, your first reaction is to give them deference is to give them your submission, is to give them your assent. Paul doesn't specify conditions that must be met prior to your submission. He makes his point simple and clear. Submit to the governing authorities as to God. Now, of course, Paul is not so naive to suppose that such submission is to be absolute. He knows there may come a time to disobey our earthly rulers. He knows that. He doesn't specify conditions here. But he's not so naive as to suppose that every governing authority governs perfectly. Nevertheless, he wants the first thought in your mind and in my mind to be a, a thought of subjection. An idea of submission. Paul, you know what he wants? He wants you to give them the benefit of the doubt. You may have doubts about your governing authorities. You may have doubts about the policies that they enact. You may have doubts about some of the laws that are passed. But Paul is suggesting here, and he's making it very clear because he's putting no conditions on it. He's saying, guess what? If your first impulse 
is not to be in subjection to them, then you have the wrong impulse toward them. Yet still, the moment our earthly rulers do something or instruct us to do something that is utterly and without question opposed to God, then Paul, like some before him, would advise us to submit to the Lord's ordinance and not to our earthly ruler. Luke records a story of this happening. We, we probably know the story well between Peter and John. Peter and John were confronted with the Sanhedrin. Let's take a look at, at what happened when the Sanhedrin confronted them. And the Sanhedrin called Peter and John and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Here is a rare, a very rare exception in which the governing authorities, the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling Jewish aristocracy in Jerusalem, they, they brought in Peter and John. This is after the time of Christ. They brought them in because they were preaching the Gospel. And they brought them in and sat them before the whole Sanhedrin and they, and they said to them, they reasoned with them, they said, look, you know, we're, we're in power. We're in authority here. And uh, we have a policy that we would like you to heed. Here's our policy. We don't want you to preach about Jesus. We don't want you to talk about Him. We don't want you stirring up this new covenant talk. We don't want you talking about Jesus. We don't want you mentioning His name. We don't want you preaching the Gospel. Okay? And Peter and John listen to what they have to say and, and I'm quite sure they, they were just saying, Lord, whoa, what do I, what do I say right now to my, to my authorities? To some 70 plus men sitting in a room, all eyes on us because we're preaching the Gospel. What do I say to this? And by the Holy Spirit, they responded and says, look, whether it's right, in the sight of God, that, that we should listen to you or to God, you can judge that, but we're going to listen to God. We're, for this moment in time, this rare moment in time, we are going to listen to what you have to tell us. We're going to listen to your policy, your command, your law, and we're going to defy it. We're going to willfully defy it. That was a big step. Big step. Tremendous step for them to take. It could have cost them their lives. And in the end, uh, it largely would. But the point here, friends, the point of this story is not to say, see, all we, got, all we have to do is lie in wait. Lie in wait for our governing authorities to make a wrong move and say, Aha! I defy you. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to disobey that law. I'm going to disobey that policy. No, that's not the point. The point here is not to lie in wait for them to make a mistake and say, Gotcha. 
No, the first instinct is to be submissive. The first instinct is to be in subjection. But when faced with an unbelievable circumstance in which you are, you are caught between God's command and their command, then and only then do you humbly, and notice how they said it, do you humbly respond and say, I don't wish to defy you, but I have a higher authority. And I will pay heed to him. That's how you approach it. F.F. Bruce, another great New Testament scholar, he writes, Christians will voice their no to Caesar's unauthorized demands the more effective if they have shown themselves ready to say yes to his authorized demands. That's well said. Christians will voice their no to Caesar's unauthorized demands the more effective if they have shown themselves ready to say yes to his authorized demands. The first leaders of our nation knew this. They knew this well. They knew this very well, actually. Um, because they, with great patience, waited on King George of England to change his ways. They said so, actually, in the Declaration of Independence. I want you to take a look at this. These are the signers of the Declaration. This is what they wrote. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms of to which they are accustomed. You know what they're saying there? They're saying, we have endeavored to show patience. We have deeply endeavored to show King George deference and patience and waiting and seeing if he would change and and hoping and praying that he would. That's what they're saying here. But, they go on to say, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. We don't realize how, how filled with the spirit of Acts 4 and the spirit of Romans 13 this statement is. And many of these men were believers in Christ. All of them God-fearing. Where do they get this stuff? They get it from the Bible. Now, history, uh, excuse me, Jesus will one day judge their actions. These men will one day, and those who followed him, they will one day stand before Almighty God and they will have to answer why they defied their government. Jesus takes that matter very seriously. I believe that these men will have a good answer on the last day. I believe that. Because they were trying to show that patient endurance, that patient suffering, where they waited and waited and prayed and asked God to change the heart of their leader. And finally, 
there came that last straw that broke the camel's back and they had to do something. And you and I sit here today because of it. I believe Jesus will find their answer acceptable one day, but I don't know. That's between them and the Lord one day. And we are simply the, the, the product of, of, their, of their efforts. Um, but they took it seriously, I can tell you that much. And so should we. I want to make one more point, and that is uh, the Declaration goes on to list a great many offenses which King George had committed. But of all the offenses, think about this, of all the offenses that could have been selected first, I find their choice to be particularly noteworthy given this past week in our nation's history. Notice what they wrote first, the first offense. He, King George, has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. Of first importance, the signers of the Declaration felt that its ruler should obey and uphold the law of the land. We take this for granted in our nation today, for we have had over 200 years in which our most highly elected leader and officials have never publicly um, defied U.S. law. There have been crimes committed by those in high places, no doubt, no doubt. But no president has gone before the American people and publicly defied U.S. law. That is until this past week. When for the first time in our nation's history, for the first time in our history, a sitting U.S. president instructed our Attorney General of the United States to stop upholding U.S. law on marriage. First time in the history of the United States. It gives me uh, no pleasure to bring up political matters in church. Some of you don't like it. I don't like it. I want to be very clear that I support my president. I don't agree with everything, all this ideology. I support, though. I support my president, and I submit to him. But unilateral abrogation of law is not a power afforded to our president. It is wrong, and it is against the ordinance of God. And I believe it is not happenstance that God had me in Romans 13 at a time such as this, for it was this very week in which this happened. And so I would ask all of you today to pray for our president. Pray that God would soften his heart. Pray that God would remind him of the duties afforded to him and appointed to him. And if and when he reverses his decision, I will be the first to praise him for it. I will be the first to praise him for it. Until that day, this will remain an incredibly grievous offense and one that I expect to have great ramifications on the future of our nation. And so I would ask that you would pray for our president today. 
Pray that he would uphold the law. Pray that he would not instruct his officers to defy United States law. If you don't know what I'm speaking about, you can go home and learn about it. Um, please know that I, I say this with great respect, with great honor for our president. I submit to him, but I will not, and no Christian should, stand by passively while its leaders refuse assent to law. So that's why I bring it up today. Please pray for our president. I take this seriously. Why? Because Paul says those who resist authority will bring judgment upon themselves. Those who resist the governing authority without due cause bring judgment on themselves. And so guess what? If I am wrong in what I have just said, I have simply incurred judgment from God. That can come in many different forms, but make no mistake. If I'm wrong in what I've just said, then God's going to hold me accountable for it one day. And He will hold you accountable for every act and every word of disrespect or defiance that you show your government leaders. And so we tread carefully. I thought long and hard about what I've just said. In my first instinct, I pray and I want to maintain a first instinct of submission in giving the benefit of the doubt to, to, to our leaders. And we need to keep to that until we find that there's a moment in time where we can no longer stay quiet. But generally speaking, Paul writes in verse 3, generally speaking, this is a proverbial truth, rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, Paul writes in verse 4. Here again, notice this. Paul is not so naive to suppose that his words in verses 3 and 4 are universally true. Paul knows, he knows, he's seen it in his own life that rulers can be evil. He himself was an evil leader of the Pharisees. But in a proverbial sense, it is generally the case that rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. My cousin, uh, Dylan, he's a firefighter up in Idaho. And a big, huge guy, twice the size of me. And uh, last year, there was an encounter where he, there was a woman in a car, and the car was on fire, and he ran in, in, in all of his gear, he ran in and pulled the woman out of the burning car and, and brought her back to safety. The governor of Idaho uh, found out about this heroic act and he, through uh, certain commissions and whatnot, they have decided to award my cousin uh, the Idaho uh, Medal of Honor. And there will be a ceremony uh, coming in, in the coming days and weeks in which he will be awarded uh, this great honor for his heroic effort. What's my point? The point is this. Do good things and the authorities will reward you for it. Do what is good. Do what is right. Be a respectable person. Be respectful in the community. Benefit society. And you will be praised. You will be honored. There will be harmony in your community. For He, the governing authority, Paul writes, is God's minister to you for good. Paul says that government leaders are ministers, or diakonos in Greek. It's the Greek word for servant. 
And it's interesting that he uses this word because this is the same word used to describe like deacons in a church. Paul doesn't mean by it that they're necessarily saved. He simply means that they, are, that they exist to serve the public and the common good. They are diakonos, ministers, servants. And notice this, they're a servant or a minister for good. For good. Now, that is one of their primary purposes, to do good. This is one of the primary purposes of government. They're appointed by God to do good. Of course, defining good can be difficult. I ask you, are these things good? Take a look. Ready? You know, we're going we're to find some good ones here. You ready for this one? Especially like number three. All right, here we go. Is it good to require all drivers to purchase auto insurance? Is that good or bad? Oh, okay. All right. Is it good to tax the rich more than the poor? Good or bad? I heard a couple goods, more bads, all right? Is it good to prevent McDonald's from offering toys and Happy Meals? Good or bad? Uh, we We got a little raucous there now. Is it good to bail out large U.S. corporations who are in financial turmoil? Is it good to stop oil drilling in the name of environmental concerns? Is it good to go to war in Iraq and Afghanistan? Is it good to require all people to purchase health care? I put these up here not to cause a debate. Uh, we got Republicans, we got Democrats, we got those in between, and those who would like neither, like me. Um, the point is, you will disagree on these things. And so do your leaders. And so, first of all, number one, Paul's saying they're appointed and they take office to do good. And Paul's suggesting, he says, give them the benefit of the doubt. Unless. Tremendous evidence to the contrary. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Believe them when they say, I'm doing this because I believe this is good for society. We need to believe that. They believe that. Um, They're sinners. So are you. Um, Sometimes maybe they've got a couple things, you know, on the side. A couple things that they're uh, negotiating, compromising on. But... By and large, where you land on these issues, you land because you think it's good. You think it's good that you do X or Y. Sometimes you disagree on what is good. The point is is that government leaders are appointed by God to do good. And when they make decisions, it is not surprising that they substantiate their decisions with reasons for why it will benefit society. Now, you and I might disagree on those reasons, but it's likely that we need to submit to the new policies that come into place because of these decisions. For unless there is unmistakable evidence to the contrary, unless there is unmistakable evidence that a decision by our leader is against the ordinance of God, we do well to respect and comply with it. We ought to give our leaders the benefit of the doubt. And when we disagree with one of their decisions, we should remember that they believe it is for the benefit of society. I have concerns about some of these things. Some of these things that are being enacted today. But I respect the decision of my nation's leaders. I do believe they're making these decisions out of what they believe is best for America. And last I checked, the Ten Commandments did not include... You know, 
thou shalt not create universal health care. That wasn't one of the commandments. And so whether I agree or disagree with that, I, I need to realize that that's not an issue on which I will defy my government. That is not good enough of an issue. It's just not. Strong feelings aside, it's just not a good enough reason. So we should submit to it and continue to pray for our leaders that they would make wise and and good decisions. Not only are they doing what they do for our good, but notice the end of verse 4. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, uh, actually I'll stop there. He is an avenger. That's what the governing authority is. God's political diakonos or servant is not only appointed to do good, but to bear the sword, to avenge, and to execute wrath. Now you notice back in Romans 12.19, Paul had just said, don't take vengeance. Don't avenge. Why? God says, I will avenge. It is mine to repay. I will take vengeance, God says. And one of the ways in which God takes vengeance is to do it through governing authorities. We are to give over our injustices to God and let Him deal with them. And one of the ways He just might do it is through the power of government leaders. God has authorized government leaders to bear the sword, to avenge, to execute wrath on evildoers. It should go without saying, by the way, that this is a very physical and a very temporal kind of wrath. This this definition of wrath should be kept in mind as we read the book of Romans. And I have argued in earlier messages that I believe it actually to be the primary understanding of the word wrath or orge in Greek throughout the book of Romans. People always jump to this eternal condemnation thing. Here Paul is making it very clear that wrath is very temporal, very physical, very this-worldly. happens here. And I think that's how Paul uses it elsewhere. But more to the point, we're all wondering, what does it mean to bear the sword? At the very least, we can say that God has authorized government leaders to punish criminals. Of course, the word sword seems to indicate the highest kind of punishment or capital punishment. And this, if it were the case, this would be in agreement with Genesis 9-6, which says this, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God He made man. It's interesting that this statement by the Lord through Moses was given, um, I should say written down by Moses, was given prior to the giving of the Mosaic Law. That is to say, it's before the Mosaic Law. And so, um, make no mistake, Genesis 9-6 is, is, authorization, divine authorization, for capital punishment. Um, It is noteworthy that, that this authorization was given before the law. And it significantly weakens those who read the Bible and suppose that that the new covenant has somehow invalidated capital punishment because this became this came before the law. And so it adds a measure of complexity to that issue, an issue that we're not going to go 
and, and resolve all the complexities here today. I, for one, will tell you that I do believe that's what Paul's referring to here in, uh, in verse 4. I believe he is referring to punishment all the way to the point of execution. Um, but I concede that that is not the exclusive meaning of the phrase bear the sword. It's just not. Um, there are other first century writings which suggest it can refer to police or military officials. Um, so there's, there's, there's wide dispute here. What is not in dispute is an understanding of Genesis 9-6 as authorizing um, rightful execution of those who kill another. Um, And that's something that needs to be dealt with um, despite New Covenant realities, uh, which I think um, is still in play, is still in place. And so I believe that government does have the right, based on Genesis 9-6, based also on Romans 13.4, I believe government does have the right to execute. Um, I believe they can and should use that right where it is appropriate. But of course, it is the highest of punishments on earth and needs to be dealt with very, very carefully. Um, But we need to move on. The overarching point is this. If you do evil... God has authorized the governing governing leaders to punish you. Therefore, verse 5, be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. In other words, submit. Why? So that you don't get punished, number one. But also, number two, in a greater reason, number two, because your conscience. Because the Holy Spirit says to. Because the Bible says to. Submit. Not just to avoid punishment, but because you're supposed to. Because you're a Christian. And that means something. That means that you act in ways that are different than other people act. That means that your attitude goes beyond that of the general public in, in your level of respect and submission to society's leaders. Is that true of Christians? Is that true of you? Does your attitude toward governing officials go beyond the respect and honor of the general public? I don't believe that's been true of Christians, at least in America, for the last number of decades. I don't believe Christians have led the way in being respectful and honoring their officials. We haven't, actually. Um, We need to pray for our president more and more. We have him on the bulletin. Um, That's not good enough. We need to be praying for him constantly. Um, Honoring him. Um, Recognizing he is God's diakonos for us. Despite the, the, the thing I've already brought up today. I still honor him. I still submit to him. He is still my president, my authority. Verse 6, Paul continues to write, For because of this, all of these things, for because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to the very thing, the very thing of governing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. This is the fourth time, count it, one, two, three, fourth time that Paul has indicated that the governing authority is God's servant. He said in verse 1 that they are from God. In verse 1 again that they're appointed by God. And in verse 4 that they're God's minister. And now in verse 6 again, 
God's minister. God's appointed them. Generally speaking, they are men and women who are seeking our good. They're seeking to benefit society. And so, pay your taxes, Paul says. Don't grumble. Pay it. Don't cheat on your taxes. Pay it. Take a second job if you can't pay it. Be a respectable citizen, Paul says. He's pretty quick about it. He just says, hey, pay your taxes. Get on with it. There are way bigger fish to fry here. Way bigger fish to fry than your tax bill. I liked my tax bill this year. I got some money back. Anybody get money back? Anybody lose money? All right. Sorry, guys. A couple of you. Doug? No? You haven't gone yet. You're defying your governing officials to... Hey, application folks, let's get to the nuts and bolts here. What can we learn today? Here's what we can learn. Number one, remember that God removes and raises up government leaders for His purposes. Remember that. He's the one. He's the one doing it. It's not you. It's not me. Yeah, we're checking a ballot. But in the end, He's the one appointing them to high office. And He's doing it for His purposes. You may not know what those purposes are. But He has a plan. He's doing it for Him. Number two, as for you, submit to your governing authorities as to the Lord and pray for them continually. Submit to them. Be in subjection to them. Give them the benefit of the doubt. That's my biggest challenge to you today. I think many of us are submitting. Okay, We're in subjection to. We're doing those things. But are we giving them the benefit of the doubt? Unless you have great reason to the contrary, you need to remember that they're doing things that they believe is best. And you've got to have a lot of evidence to the contrary to think otherwise. They are doing what they believe is best. So honor it and respect it. If you don't like it, vote differently. But pray for them, honor them, and respect them. Number three, leaders generally do seek to promote good in society. While we may disagree on what is good, let us submit to any duly approved policies and laws that do not conflict with God's Word. That's the key operative term there. That's the exception right there. That's it. If it conflicts with God's Word, we got a problem. If it doesn't, it's a, if it's a peripheral issue, we don't have a problem. We just need to submit and be honorable and respectful. Lastly, number four, Unless our leaders act in ways that clearly defy God's commands, we are to give them our respect and our honor. This is not. This was. Uh, this was certainly not an easy message uh, to preach on, um, particularly given um, circumstances that occurred this week that uh, shocked me and, and and certainly caused me to. Read the text again and again and again and, and wonder um, what, um, how Christians should respond to something like that. Um, I, I reiterate that we are to lo- uh, honor and respect and submit to our authorities. Respect our president. Honor him. Submit to him. Our governor. Our c- Congress. Our Supreme Court. They're, they're doing, they're, man, they're, they're doing so much, and there are so many factors going on that we don't know anything about. So many things in the world that are happening, and, and we, we react, and we, we, we read a news story, and we have this gut reaction. Where is the benefit of the doubt? Give it to them. Give it to them. And only when 
there is unmistakable evidence that they are defying an ordinance of God. Do you call it out? I called it out because I believe that what happened this week was that serious. Some of you may disagree with me. But I call that out because I believe it is that serious before God that a leader of a nation as this would openly and publicly defy its law. That's unacceptable. Having said that, I'm not up here to uh, score a political battle or win. I'm up here to first say we are to be in subjection to them, praying for them, on their side, giving them that benefit. And only reluctantly and humbly are we to call out our leaders and ask them to change course. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, You know um, our hearts and You know what needs to change. You know what needs to change in me and You know what needs to change in all of us sitting here today. Each of us, Lord, have different reactions to our governing authorities. Some of us are very supportive, are prayer warriors for them. Praise God for it. But God, others of us have, have, been, have been pitiful in our respect and honor of our governing authorities. Lord, let us be shamed for that. Let us remember what You have asked us to do. And let us, change, let us be willing enough to change our ways, God. Let us be very slow to speak in speaking out against our governing authorities. And Father, let us only do so upon the most grievous of offenses. But Lord, in the meantime, let us be on their side, praying for them, wishing them well, wishing our country well, wishing peace in the world. God, so much is happening in Libya, Iran, North Korea, many places of the world, Father. There's a lot of chaos. I ask for peace. I ask for stability. I ask for leaders that would honor You. For those that openly defy You, I pray that You would remove them and replace them with men and women who love You and who would do good for the people underneath their care. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.